Hey, welcome back everyone to the Dual Threat Podcast. Uh, Scott Fisher and myself come your way every week to talk college football. We love the nuts and bolts of the game and the history and the possibilities, the what ifs, the debates, the arguments. So join us each and every week for great discussion right here. You can join Scott Fisher on his YouTube channel. It's a great dive into recent history of college football, some great storylines, some, some narratives that you're not gonna find anywhere else. And you can catch me, Mark Rogers, the voice of college football. Just search Mark Rogers TV, the voice of college football on YouTube. Scott, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. How are you doing, Mark? I am doing well, doing well. Uh, it's a trimmed up bowl season. For those people that are sick of too many bowl games, and we hear that argument every year, too many bowl games or not enough bowl games, you know, let everybody play. Uh, I think we made it up to 41 bowl games the last couple of years. So we keep adding just a couple every few years. Well, it took a pandemic to knock down the number of bowl games. So with the initial run of bowl games that decided, uh, I think the, the holiday bowl would be uh, the most uh, attractive and the most uh, tradition rich bowl game that uh, decided to opt out. And then with teams opting out and missing bowl games and other bowl games having to be canceled, we uh, have quite a trimmed down schedule, but still some really good bowl games finally, because if you really look at it, Scott, uh, the, the bowl games have not been that exciting, have not been that competitive. They've been an all group of five and basically every game up until yesterday was pretty much of a blowout or just not a game that went down to the wire. Uh, then we had a nice little matchup between uh, the Raging Cajuns, Louisiana and uh, Texas San Antonio. Uh, I was a bit surprised in that one because Louisiana was clearly the better team on the field. They had a 24-7 lead. They were driving for a 31-7 lead. Then Texas San Antonio, they're missing all sorts of players on defense. Their head coach couldn't make the trip because he tested positive. And Texas San Antonio came back, tied the game at 24, but Louisiana scored late and held them off 31-24. That was our, finally our our best bowl game of the season, but then that was uh, quickly eclipsed by the nightcap with Coastal Carolina and Liberty, two of the darlings of the season. First, it was Liberty that got much of the uh, group of five uh, attention early in the season with people latching on to the story with Hugh Freeze. And then of course, Coastal Carolina, once Liberty lost, became that undefeated darling of college football. And it was just a tremendous game that went back and forth with big plays, big defensive plays. Uh, we, had a, we had a tie game late, and Liberty drove the ball down to the one-yard line after Coastal Carolina had come back from 12 down late in the fourth quarter. Liberty run, shoes up 75 or 80 yards in like 40 seconds, gets it down to the one- or two-yard line, fumbles when it looks like they're going to win the game, and then they go to overtime uh, Liberty kicks a field goal, blocks a Coastal Carolina field goal to win the game. Thrilling fashion. The Flames finished with just one loss, Coastal Carolina with one loss. And it kind of just was the, 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 the matchup that we needed to kind of show off the group of five and really show them in their best light. And uh, that was kind of the pinnacle of the group of five uh, getting together and, and, and displaying a, an exciting game. Uh, last night. Uh, so your thoughts about the uh, the group of five? Is that 
that uh, I know that we talked before we started to record. That's a, that's been a subject that has raged on and on and on as we've gotten closer to playoff time is the legitimacy of the group of five and whether they should be included or excluded. Everybody always talks about the group of five and always has a fit when the group of five has a good team. Like with UCF back in 2017, they said they didn't belong, didn't belong, didn't belong. They go out and beat Auburn. Then the next year, they only lose by eight points to LSU. For the most part, I, I think the in terms of adding a school like Coastal Carolina to the playoff, it, it's really hard to, to like justify that. But the American Conference, in my opinion, is getting there. I think there's a few straggler teams at the bottom that just don't do a whole lot. But for the most part, like we've had some really good teams come out of the American. A lot of those schools are putting more money into football. And a lot of them have had, have had some really good players over the years. So, and, and I mean, if you put, matched up the American against the Pac-12 this year, I wonder if that would be, if the American would win that. It's just, they deserve a, a chance. And um, one thing I was going to talk about is the fact that Luke Fickle turned down the Michigan State job going into the offseat like this, this year, and they took Mel Tucker instead. And I always talk with my friend about Fickle has a reason why he did that. He sees Cincinnati as potentially the best group of five school. And with all this playoff nonsense, if he can keep Cincinnati recruiting and doing the way that like, they're playing right now, when they ne- renegotiate this playoff inevitably in the next couple of seasons, they'll probably likely include a spot for a group of five or an American school. And a team like Cincinnati could be that kind of new dynasty member that always competes for that spot. And maybe Luke Fickle is thinking a, a little bit ahead of the curve. I want to know what you think of that, Mark. The group of five performance against uh, the power five is an interesting topic because it can be spun so many ways. Uh, There is a long history of games in which the two uh, have gotten together, certainly in the regular season. I've run the numbers uh, a few times where the power five beats the group of five about 85% of the time when you just look at the cross section of games. But when you take the better teams in the group of five competing against the power five, can they compete against the elite, the very elite? Uh, Probably not. Actually, I'm going to say no for sure. But to the group of five's defense, is the rest of the power five competing against the elite? Are they not going to the playoffs and then during the regular season competing against Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, et cetera, and getting blown out themselves? Sure, they are. So I don't necessarily know that that's an argument against the group of five. Uh, interesting stat here that if you take the best group of five team over the past seven years that has made it to a New Year's Six Bowl game. So we've had the playoffs for six years, and this will be the seventh year, and we have yet to see, of course, Georgia-Cincinnati play. Uh, and then take it back a year before that because there was a matchup between uh, Baylor and UCF in the 2013 Fiesta Bowl the year before the playoffs started. Uh, the group of five best team has won four of the last seven matchups against uh, the power five team that they played in the new year six. Now, does that mean the group of five is better? No, that was the best, very best group of five team in the country taking on like the 10th or 12th or 15th best team in the country uh, in the power five. So not making that claim by any stretch. And certainly you did a recent story on the 2016 Houston Cougars, and I remember it well, beat Baker Mayfield and company at uh, Oklahoma, beat Louisville, coming off a bowl win against Florida State, where they beat uh, a Dalvin Cook-led Florida State team in the Peach Bowl in what was not a very close game. Uh, So I just think that we've come to a place, Scott, where 
there's there's got to be a fundamental decision to be made as to whether to exclude them or to formally include them. That doesn't mean you have to give them fair representation or equal, I should say, equal representation in the playoffs, but you have to give them some representation because the way it currently stands, it's kind of an insult and a slap in the face to humor them or patronize them by giving them spots in the rankings with the full knowledge that they'll never get be given one of the the four spots in the rankings and just to rank them and humor them with a New Year's Six spot and that's kind of their ceiling. Well, they should be excluded then or they should be formally included in my opinion. I totally agree on that. It's kind of an insult saying, oh, Cincinnati, like some some of the like college game day people or the ESPN anchors will say, oh, I have Cincinnati as my fourth fourth team, but we all know they'll never actually get picked. Or people see like, oh, BYU with Zach Wilson, if they get one defeated, they could get in. In reality, they were never to get in, even though BYU has a bigger athletic budget and probably a better football history than half the Power Five schools. And Cincinnati is kind of the same way. They just There needs to be equal representation. And then you get into the weird realm of, well, if you include a team from the American, why why is the Sun Belt getting left out? And that's why, I mean, and I, it, logistically, it probably will never work out. But in my opinion, I just want to see a 16-team playoff like the FCS does. Every single conference championship winner gets a spot. And people say, the biggest argument is, well, it's not going to stop Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State from winning. And it's like, like no one just watches college football to watch the championship. We want to see all the good games. We want to see all the storylines. So, like, seeing, like, a, a Coastal Carolina play, like, an Indiana in a, like, a, in, like, a, in a normal year in, like, Bloomington, like a road game, like seeing those matchups would be a lot of fun. It probably wouldn't change who wins the title, but it makes that, that process more fun. Like you don't see March Madness just have select the four best teams and put them in the final four. Like they give everybody a chance. And they say miracles might not happen, but I guarantee you when a team like Indiana or a small school gets a chance to actually compete for a championship, they're going to make it a lot closer than, than people realize. Yeah, and for all the... 51-10 games we're going to see between Alabama and the MAC champion, fill in the spot, whatever other examples you want to give. Is it going to happen at some point? I don't know if it's going to take three years, five years, 10 years, 12 years. There's going to come a year where we're going to all be glued to our TV because with three minutes left in the game, uh, Clemson, the one seed, is going to be in a 28-24 game with the Sun Belt champion in the first round of the playoffs. It's going to happen at some point that it's going to pay off from an entertainment standpoint. Uh, I completely agree with you. It's funny because somebody asked me uh, the other day on a call-in show whether I had uh, ever devised a playoff, and I've done that many times, uh, different eight-team and 16-team playoffs, because I think that's the only way you can go Anybody that brings up a six or a 12, the bye weeks don't work. Uh, that can be a subject for another time, but I clearly don't believe that the bye weeks work for a number of reasons. So anyway, either an A-team or 16-team playoff, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I wish I could find it. I wrote a, I talked a, a college professor into letting me write a term paper on a 16-team playoff in 1988. So yeah, it, it's been a long time ago since I proposed a 16-team playoff. So I love the same idea, exactly what you're saying. Include all the conference champions. That would be 10 teams. And then you've got six wildcard positions. 
that could be, in my mind, uh, the combination of a formula. Of course, the results on the field have to matter and some type of committee, uh, maybe to break ties. Uh, uh, there's a number of ways to do that. But the only thing that college football fans are going to have to get used to under that system, and it's much like the NCAA tournament in a sense, is that theoretically the 11 best teams in the country are going to be in the in that playoff because your five power five champions are going to be among the 16 best teams in the country and your six wild cards that you select are going to be the very best of the power five that did not win a conference. So you've got the 11 best teams in the country are going to be in this tournament. And then you're going to have a drop off. You're maybe going to have the American conference champ that's going to be maybe the 15, 20, 25th best team in the country. And you're going to have your your Mountain West champion, typically a Boise State, many years, that's going to be, again, the 20th, 25th, roughly best team in the country. Then you're going to have Sunbelt and MAC champions that could be the 50th best teams in the country, the 60th best teams in the country. But, well, you know, Scott, I, I think you would agree with this based on what we've seen from the Sunbelt in recent years. They're certainly getting much better uh, to where they would have been the 70th best team in the country five years ago, maybe you're talking about the 20th or 30th best team in the country now. Uh, and then it, that might, uh, the situation you propose and, and, and myself with 16 teams probably gives those schools a better edge in recruiting. Uh, and maybe we get more parity down the road. No, I agree. And that's what's going to be my next point. People say, uh, why do you want to see Alabama destroy Indiana in the first round, 52 to nothing? A, a lot of times I don't think that'll happen. And B, just for a school like Indiana or a school that doesn't typically make the playoff to get in the playoff, that'll help their brand, help recruiting tremendously. And I do think it'll bring more parity because right now if you're a five-star, a top 300 recruit, you say, I can go to a school like Tennessee with brand and prestige where I may get to help them resurge, or I can just go play for Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma or Notre Dame, and I'm guaranteed to probably get a chance to play there in my four years there and get a chance to go to the NFL. But if you all of a sudden allow, let's say, the 12 best Power 5 schools, you can say, oh, well, now I can go to these different various schools, and there, there can be more parity. And then schools like Appalachian State, if they consistently make the playoff, they're going to they're recruit better, more players are going to go there. And then as we branch off into our next topic, I think a school like Appalachian State could easily jump into the American Conference. Absolutely. I'm on top of that one. No question. Uh, Appalachian State has done such a phenomenal job of building a football program. And, and it, it must be something about, uh, you know, I think any successful football program has to be built from the top and, and the, the entire, all the layers of authority have to be on the same page that football is a priority and we're going to make football a priority. Uh, and it, that must be the case there because they have gone through a number of coaches in recent years and they just continue to win. Uh, so it's a, it's a great uh, story. Uh, yeah, Appalachian State would be a great fit in the American from a competitive standpoint. From a geographical standpoint, they'd be a great fit for the ACC. I don't know how they would play. It'd be a great experiment to see how good would Appalachian State be today or UCF or somebody who geographically makes sense in the ACC. Yeah, and then this past week, I saw that Boise State was potentially linked to the American Conference. I don't know how that changes after Brian Harson leaves, but I always thought it's schools like Boise State, 
I feel like Boise State could play in the Pac-12. I felt like they'd help their brand. I felt the same way about BYU, possibly San Diego State, but those other two schools I think could fit in the Pac-12. And then inevitably the Big 12 is going to expand. And in my opinion, they have a solid pool of teams to pick from, like like Houston, SMU, Cincinnati, Memphis, all four of those schools. And then if they wanted to dip into the Florida market, you go after a school like UCF and maybe even USF. But you also have to talk in terms of other sports. And for the most part, Houston, Cincinnati, Memphis, they're all good basketball brands. They all have solid baseball programs as well. And so Big 12 is going to honestly expand pretty soon. But some people don't know if they're going to expand into that Texas market. But what do you think about, about that? Well, in terms of realignment, I posted a video a couple of years ago. I realigned college football with six major conferences. So I wanted to stay at 12 teams. I don't like 16 teams. They're too big. Not enough teams play each other. We already have that issue, especially in the SEC and the ACC with eight game schedules and 14 teams and teams don't see each other for six or seven years. So my thought process there is tweak the four conferences. Um, I'm sorry, the five conferences, of course, and, and I would build a sixth conference and they would play kind of a big East kind of schedule. So what I did was I plucked all the teams that don't belong out of the in the ACC that were originally in the Big East, Syracuse, Pitt, Boston College, Louisville. I plucked them out of the ACC. Uh, actually, it came down to four teams that I plucked out of the ACC, sent them to the Big East, built a Big East conference out of those teams, Penn State, Cincinnati, West Virginia. Uh, I forget who else I've got in there. I wouldn't go through the whole thing, but uh, I believe I went Army, Navy. So I built a pretty strong Big East conference and then threw Notre Dame in the Big Ten. They belong in the Big Ten. They don't belong in the ACC. Historically, traditionally, and geographically, they belong in the Big Ten. Uh, I tweaked the, the, the um, I thought it was pretty simple just to take the SEC, put Missouri and Texas A&M where they belong, take them out of the SEC, put them back in the Big 12, um, I put Houston somewhere. I put BYU and Boise State in the Pac-12. Uh, I might have taken Colorado and put them back into the Big 12. And that's pretty much how I built it and went with six teams or six conferences, 12 teams in each conference for 72 teams. No, I, I completely like that idea. Like, I don't think Missouri and Texas A&M belong in the SEC at all. I know it's all for, for money, but this is kind of into the college basketball realm, but Missouri basketball has, has struggled immensely over the past few years. And I was always wondering why is this happening? And it's because fans don't want to go to a game when you're playing Mississippi state, when your rivals are all from the big 12. Like that's the one thing where you have to keep in, keep in consideration with conference realignment is that a lot of these schedules and a lot of these schools play these kind of historic teams. They play them every year and that's kind of what they're used to. So if you do that, it can potentially change the culture of the team culture of your recruiting and culture of your fan base, which is something to watch out for. But if you're a smaller school and you jump up to the bigger conference, that only helps. But if you move around certain teams, that could potentially have that effect as well. And it's never an easy fix. Anybody who takes on the job of realignment, there are some casualties to a certain extent. Uh, it's just impossible to get it exactly right where it doesn't affect a school. Now, now the, the, the ramifications and the 
conclusion should be positive overall, but you're, you're going to break some things, some, some ties, some relationships to a certain extent. It's, it's impossible to get perfectly right where all the outcomes are positive. There are going to be some, some logistics that, that uh, are going to be a little rough at the beginning in regards to people's mindsets of certain teams being in certain conferences. But uh, that's at least how I approached it. Uh, not saying that's the only way to do it. There's a million ways to do it that that makes sense. Yeah, and then one last thing in the whole conference realignment. I know a lot of people do it for the NCAA football game, and it's kind of like a out there theory. But people say like have these conferences that are kind of like changing every year. Like the winners of each conference like all go into a into a conference. Like the winner of the MAC will move up, and the worst team in the Big Ten moves down to the MAC. Kind of like a soccer format. I know that's probably never going to happen, but what do you think of something like that? I think it's horrible. <laughs> I, I always have thought that that was not the way to go. You talk about breaking them. The, at the very core of college football are traditions, rivalries, and you completely decimate those. And it just becomes a circus. It seems like that, that idea always struck me as clownish and buffoonery to be penalizing teams based on one bad year of performance. And again, just from the structure of the leagues, I just don't think it makes any sense at all. Don't like it. Yeah. And then um, one more thing in terms of the playoff realm, I've heard uh, if the American, if like the, the group of five doesn't get represented soon, talking about having sort of like a second playoff bracket for the group of five schools. Yeah, that kind of goes full circle to where we started this conversation. And I mentioned at least where I stand that the group of five has to be officially included or completely excluded. And that's another way to look at it. Just say the power five is going to play a playoff group of five, go do whatever you want. They would form a playoff and they would just be completely separate. And I think there's merit to that argument as well. One thing I, th I have to say on that is I say you potentially play that that group of five playoff before the real one. And then the winner of that gets a spot in the actual college football playoff. And then you have a 16, a six team playoff for the legit, for like the real national championship, you get each power five school. And then you get the winner of that smaller one. So I think that's a good idea when we're playing football on paper. I think that would be interesting. It would be legitimate. I'm trying to think how that might affect and impact that particular team like if they if they play meaning the group of five plays an eight team playoff i don't know that they would need to play eight maybe they play a four-team playoff and so their champion just played two extra games then they go into another playoff i don't know if you're beating them down too much uh physically and then the only other thing is that i hate i don't think buys work in college football i think that completely tears up the system uh, in regards to having the six teams. I would go with the eight and include the group of five. I'm good with that. I just think it's impossible to select buys in college football. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think buys, I, I always hate the bye week. In the regular season, you need it just for injury purposes. But um, buys in the postseason, there's, there's a reason why the NCAA tournament and the NBA and NBA doesn't do it. The NFL can get away with it, but um, – I do think that we are in for a major shakeup in the college football playoff though soon. Yeah. I just think that buys work in the NFL because they were earned because everybody knows what has to be done and what has to be accomplished to earn the buy and the buy was earned 
in college football, it would just be some kind of random selection. I have this offered up to me all the time by people that won a 16 playoff and say, well, just have the committee select the two buys. Well, go year to year through college football, and it's impossible to select fairly who would receive the buys. And the advantage is just, just ridiculous. So I wouldn't be a big fan of that. But, uh, but that's uh, if you could draw that up on a calendar, uh, Scott, in regards to the way the season would work, uh, I think that's an interesting proposal you got there with a the group of five champion moving into a 18 playoff. That would be, that would be pretty good. Yeah. I think what would have to happen is kind of what like, is kind of what happened this year where we see maybe the group of five start their season two weeks earlier or something. I know no college football fan in the universe would be opposed to having college football start earlier, but having them start maybe two or three weeks earlier and then having them complete their playoff while the conference championships are all going on. I don't know. You'd have to, the logistics would be insane and it'd be a disadvantage, but it's something definitely fun to talk about. Well, for how many years did we just have a BCS championship game? Maybe, maybe the group of five, you know, we're only talking about, there's roughly 75 power five teams. So there's roughly 55 group of five teams and they don't have any kind of championship now. Maybe they just have a championship game. Maybe they just have a BCS-style championship game. And so it's only one extra game for, for that particular team. And then they go right into the playoff, and it's not a huge disadvantage or, or a scheduling issue. And like you say, they play the championship. They get a bye week after that that they can rest up for their first-round game in the other playoff. Yeah, I think overall, most college football fans, at least the ones that – have their brains screwed on correctly, know that the playoff system needs to be fixed. And I really, I don't know why people complain about having a 16 or even an 18 playoff. I don't, there's no, there's no downside to having more college football be played unless you're talking about injuries and stuff. But I mean, those are going to happen regardless. Absolutely. I am right there with you on that. And uh, I've got to expect that something's going to happen. Uh, The most likely time would be at the end of the current TV contract, but they, those can certainly be renegotiated. And I would think uh, ESPN would be all too uh, welcoming of playing more games and making more money. Yep. And uh, in terms of the TV contract, it's, this came out. I knew this going into the summer, but it's a little bit of sad news. We only got about two more years of the SEC on CBS. It's, uh, you think there's any chance that there's going to be so much pushback that we can get it back? Or are we uh, going to be headed into a new era without it? Uh, I don't generally think people care that much where games are played myself. That's, that's kind of my thought. I know that I enjoy certain announced teams, let's say, for example, but people don't tune into games to watch the announced team. I think it's just another change in college football. You know, I've been around, unfortunately, quite a bit longer than you have. So, you know, just there have been all sorts of changes through the years in regards to networks owning rights to leagues and it just seemed at the time you know now that I'm older I could care less what games are on what networks I don't have any attachment to that but you know at the time when I was 15 20 years old I was so used to uh, certain networks owning certain leagues and thought you know the world had come to an end since (laughs) that uh, you know a certain league wasn't going to be represented on a certain network and you know three years later you know, it just seems like it all had always been there. And it, it's, it just, I, I just, for me, myself, uh, you know, it just doesn't show up on the radar at all. 
Yeah, for kids my age, I know all my college football friends, everyone tunes into this. I mean, I personally will t turn on the 3.30 game just for the, the crew and the presentation and just because it's like that one special SEC game each week, even if it's a blowout. It's just kind of like a, as us, our generation grew up with that every day at 3.30. So, like, it'll definitely be an interesting change. And seeing the SEC on, like, ABC, that'll be definitely weird. But for you, you've been through just so many changes that this is just another one in the, in the book. It usually comes full circle in terms of, you know, who owns these rights. You know, if somebody takes over uh, a certain property, whether it be the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, or any college sports, I'll think back and be like, oh, yeah, well, they had it in the 80s. So, you know, I grew up at a time when NBC seemed to be most attached to college basketball more than any other network by far. NBC? Uh, yes. Yeah, so NBC just owned everything. They had the best college basketball doubleheader every week. They had the national championship game. They had the tournament. They had everything. Oh, wow. I mean, I didn't even know that. I'm just so CBS is now the, the big one for that. Yeah, so CBS's first national championship game was the Georgetown, North Carolina, 82. So it was through 81 that NBC had everything, and then CBS took over in 82. Wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. And to guess to wrap up today's episode, uh, horrible, horrible, horrible news out of Texas, in, out of the Pac-12. Uh, Utah freshman running back Ty Jordan was shot. It's unclear what exactly, how it happened, but all we know is that he lost his life. He was a freshman. He was Pac-12 freshman of the year. Horrible, horrible news. Yes. Uh, you know, that's a... Uh certainly puts everything else in perspective. Uh, here we have a 19-year-old with everything in front of them, uh, off to a great start um, as a college football player. Certainly, I'm sure their life, Ty's life was so much more than that. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, had a great first season at Utah, and suddenly due to whether it be an accidental shooting or maybe there's something else being involved, regardless, uh, you know, his, his life is ended in a moment. And uh, yeah, we would just like to uh, dedicate uh, this particular episode of the Dual Threat Podcast uh, to Ty Jordan and uh, thoughts and prayers go out to his family, his friends, everybody close to him, the Utah football family, that uh, only uh, enjoyed his play and his uh, presence for one year. But uh, I'm sure that um, uh, in, in hope that um, in this, that some good can come out of it. But uh, yeah, uh, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and everyone in the Utah uh, football community. I 100% agree. All right, everyone, we appreciate uh, you stopping by. Please leave a review, a rating, leave us a comment as well. You can catch us on YouTube. Just look up the Dual Thread Podcast, or if you're catching us here on Spotify, check out Scott Fisher's YouTube channel for a, a great run of videos with some of the best stories in college football. You can catch me at Mark Rogers TV, the voice of college football for uh, breaking news analysis, pretty previews, predictions, all of that each and every day. So until next week, we will see you and enjoy the football.